right, welcome to another episode of Pod Like a Hole. Uh, in this episode, uh, we are going to finish off our discussion on all of the other scores and soundtracks that Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross um, put out there, that have out there in the world. Um, and we took the time to listen to uh, the scores and actually watch the source material as well. Yes. Um, so let's just get right into it. Um, since this is kind of an addendum to our previous discussion. Yes, but can I bring up something that I just learned tonight? Sure, let's hear it. On the internet, a few things I learned. If uh, if you want some supplemental things for this episode, if you go and Google uh, Inside a Nine Inch Nails Track with Atticus Ross, actually, I'll, I'll link it in the show notes, there is a, a very short video of Atticus Ross uh, walking you through how he put together God Break Down the Door. And, That's uh, kind of cool. Yeah, he actually, you actually see the monitor of the uh, the, the mixing software they use. Mm-hmm. Cool. So there's that. I also wanted to bring up that uh, I learned at Kerrang.com where they do a deep dive into Nine Snails video of Closer, um, which I'll also link. They do they do like a a, a minute by minute breakdown, like every tw- scene by scene breakdown. And uh, the only thing I want to bring up is that the the pumping heart was designed by the same guy that made the Slipknot masks. So there you go. Hmm. His name is, is he uh, some production designer. Yeah, like, he's, what a, is... he's a musician that became a, a uh, an artist, and his name is Screaming Mad George. Huh. He worked on the uh, Nightmare on Elm Street and the original Predator as well. Yeah. Okay. So there you go. That's the. That's, uh, that's 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 all. That's what I found on the internet today. Last bit of Nine Inch News. We won't be talking about the Fire Festival documentary on Netflix. However, it was brought to our attention by, at first, Greg Walgast, but then many other people, that uh, Trent and that they used some Trent and Atticus music uh, on that score. But it's not original music. It's stuff from their previous scores. But it's just kind of, you know, it's a, kind of a fun documentary. I mean, it's pretty miserable how annoying these people are so that, that's the netflix version right that is the netflix version but it's a fine watch in the uh the uh, it's fun to hear you know our favorite score our favorite scores in there so yeah yeah i could i could just put the scores on without having to look at men uh and doing whatever they're doing dude bros right yeah it definitely doesn't fit i mean i get what they're going like they're had this one image but this is what was really happening but uh not does that earn necessarily a Trenton Atticus score. But. Well, they're they're also just probably using music that Netflix already owns. That's true. Well, what was the source material? Was it from Nine Inch Nails or was it from like Ghosts or? Yeah, what, I think what it was, was it? it was Ghosts and like a couple other things. Just a couple. Yeah, I mean, it was, I couldn't really find like it wasn't like Bird Box, which is the only one that Netflix would own, but perhaps they're a subsidiary or something. Would they own Vietnam too? Or was that PBS? Uh, it's PBS. Okay. Because I was. Uh, thinking if they use ghosts i know at that time uh trent put that in the whole creative commons thing where anyone could use it unless so, it's like, for there unless was no it's any just, sort of royalties or licensing needed uh unless it's for profit which oh I, is that I, what I, the whole yeah i followed it on reddit I, I look i saw that on reddit actually them bringing that up but no if you use it for profit which is you know obviously if you're selling to netflix you're gonna make a profit then that that deal's null and void so ah Okay, so if it like you know is three guys from the Sacramento area putting on his podcast, and we don't have any sort of sponsors, we're in the clear. We are, even though I'm sure we are probably skirting the the gray areas of fair oh, yeah, use, yeah, but whatever. 
Hey, whatever, uh, whatever we got to do to get this uh, interview with Trent Reznor, if it has to be in court, so be it. <laughs> <laughs> All along, con. And you, sir, can you please confirm or deny that the Downward Spiral is, in fact, a three-act play about <laughs> finally, finally get my confirmation. Okay, um, so, so I guess what's our first score? All right, let's... Uh, it would be... Go ahead, Mark. I was going to say before the flood, but unless you... Uh... No, let's talk about before the flood. We can, right. Come on, guys. This is, let's be honest here. The other one, we really had a good discussion of those movies. There's some other stuff to pick up on, and this will help us be weekly as we close the podcast. So let's just do a quick talk about this stuff. Yeah, so. sounds good. about how they made the score but um i mean mark you're kind of tuned us into this movie i mean obviously we knew about it but you tuned us into it because it was on netflix um is there any more background to it other than leo dicaprio kind of wanted to make his own inconvenient truth um so it was uh, a 2016 documentary film it was about climate change it was actually directed by fisher stevens who's also another actor um he was the uh the actor that was in Short Circuit. That's what was, I was going to say. Holy hell, I didn't even realize that. Yeah, yeah he's yep. he's not Indian, but he's playing an Indian or a Pakistani person in that Short Circuit movie. Yeah. And, Would you uh, like to be a pepper too? Uh, and <laughs> he's uh, yeah, he's in both. Uh, don't forget about Short Circuit Two, where he befriends uh, con man Michael McKeon. Because um, yeah, Fisher Stevens takes the Steve Gutenberg role in part right. two. Can yeah. we uh, can we just settle settle it for once and for all that uh, batteries not included is vastly superior to Short Circuit? Yeah, I think that's fair. Um, I it's not as memorable. I mean, the whole Johnny Five because batteries not included wasn't it just some um, autonomous? There was no like the, the robots didn't talk. Batteries not included was kind of like cocoon meets short circuit. Exactly. Um, but uh, Johnny Five, uh, you know, he had personality. So I will say short circuit one uh, for me is more memorable than batteries not included. Just, short circuit just... two was terrible where he's like lost <laughs> in the city. It's like yeah. home alone too. <laughs> I actually remember more about Short Circuit 2 than I do Short Circuit 1. I just, I don't remember which one it's in, but I just remember they're looking for him and they what's that? Battery acid. He's bleeding. <laughs> <laughs> and it kind of ties into some of the music videos we've watched on this podcast. Right. Yeah. <clears throat> All right. So, uh, yeah. So Fisher Stevens uh, also made a great turn in uh, Vice Principals Season 2. So, yeah. Anyways. Give me one second. Be, which will not be the first time we mention uh, David Gordon Green. Is that his name? Uh, yeah. Vice Principals. And then oh, I said yeah. it's not the first time that David Gordon Green will be mentioned this episode. Um, so, did did you guys watch the Before the Flood? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I did. That's, yeah, that's... Uh, yeah, it's. I mean, it's a great way to deliver a message in its most simple of terms, and should have been a big eye opener for you know a lot of people. But you know, 
Well, it's a few years later and we're still saying we only have 12 years. And like I said before, you know, it's going to happen is that year 11 is when everyone's going to be like, shit. So, yeah. Yeah. And even yeah. then, I don't even know it. Like, even if Miami is underwater, I still don't feel like there'll be a sense of urgency. I'll be like, no. well, it sucks for those people. I'm up here in Oklahoma and I'm good. I'm good. You know, but and that's kind of what I got the vibe from this documentary is that uh, I really liked it. They, they, they put together something that painted a picture about an issue that uh, is, is brutal to talk about, but you have to. Yeah. It's kind of like, you know, I'm a, I'm a man that uh, I'm, a, I'm a large man and I hate stepping on the scale, but uh, you got to do it if you're going to change things. And uh, it's the same thing. If you don't, if you don't, you know, acknowledge that the world's burning, uh, it'll just consume you. So. Yeah. No, I mean, yeah. go ahead, Eric. I was going to say there are a few effective scenes in this movie. Uh, I, uh, I obviously when they're going to the, uh, the frozen, like the polar, I don't know where they are, polar ice caps or wherever they are, but it's mm-hmm. just watching it just crumble and just flood away in the moment was pretty effective. Um, and when they, they interviewed the guy that was like, I don't know, economic advisor to Bush or uh, he was a Republican, but they got, a, they got like maybe the one Republican on there who's willing to speak out against climate change. And he's like, uh, yeah, if I have to speak to you in Republican terms, like it's bad for the economy too. It's really fucking bad and fixing it can be good yeah. for the economy. Well, yeah, no, there's that, there's that one gentleman on it that says that, you know, the people that are against climate change for the most part don't want to win the debate. They want to more just divide the public and, 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 and benefit off of it. You know, the lot, the lobbyists want to create the right versus left nonsense just so they can continue making money off the situation. They, they believe in climate change. They just don't give a shit because they're making money off of it. Right. Yeah. If you, as much as you know that if you can jump on TV and, and, and tie global warming to a, you know, a lefty lunatic, well, then that means that the, the situation won't change for that much longer and you can profit. Yeah. Um, there was some very frustrating moments, uh, in the movie, not only just to kind of see just the outright ignorance and, uh, uh, that is really spewed from one side of the political aisle. Um, but the little snapshots of all the Fox news attacking Leonardo DiCaprio, just an actor here. He is trying to lecture us and he jets around and goes and blah, blah, blah. So whenever, if you are an actor or a celebrity or rich and you speak out on such issues, they're always telling, uh, just shut up. You're just a, an actor. You're not qualified, um, to really have a voice in this, uh, particular debate. Um, that's the shit that just drives me absolutely nuts. It's like, you know, if, if, so who's allowed to speak their opinion, you know, that's what I want to know. And, uh, well, one so, would even say it's your, you know, duty if somebody who has a, a mouthpiece and who has like a, a megaphone to the world because you are a celebrity to maybe speak out against something pressing and important to everybody. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, even if they have a man bun with like Leo does in this thing and, you know, his revenant beard. Um, yeah. I still take him seriously. Yeah. Um, yeah. He was actually filming the revenant. And if you remember in that part, like they keep, they kept having to move. Uh, the production of it because there wasn't enough snowfall. And if I recall correctly, uh, that also affected why Game of Thrones didn't come out last year is because there wasn't enough snow to film all of the stuff uh, up north. And so they had to push it back and back until the production wasn't going to meet last year. And so 
Sure enough. Like, so all you, and that right there shows you that it can absolutely affect jobs and the economy because you know how much that show, that one show employs in, in Hollywood and they're having to move production and who knows what they had to do during that time frame of not being able to work because of the climate. I, I was going to say that, that, you know, Hey, that might just be enough to piss off uh, Republican game of Thrones fans, but come on, they stopped watching after they killed off Joffrey. <laughs> well, he was the hero of the story. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah. That's uh, yeah. Yeah. There's a, there's your trickle down effect that works. This stuff, <laughs> you know, affects everything. Yeah. Um, uh, so I'm good to talk about the soundtrack unless you guys want to go any more into the movie. No, yeah, that's absolutely. Well, let's uh, go ahead and hit us with the soundtrack. Do you remember Eric? Very. Yeah. Um, <laughs> my family member is here. Uh, oh yeah. Remember the episode where they they show the the palm oil plantation or the the scene where they show that palm oil plantation? Yeah. The that that part really stuck with me. I, I yeah. just. You know, I already knew about like the starving polar bears and, uh, you know, areas that look like Mordor, but that, uh, that the whole palm oil way, they raise the environment, destroy animals and just for palm oil is ridiculous. Right. Yeah. And it's yeah, in everything. Yeah, lot, it's in all lot. processed foods. So about the music. Yeah. So this was a kind of a three-way effort, um, between, Trenton Atticus, uh, this composer, Gustavo Sanalola. He's a composer, but he's also a multi-instrumentalist, uh, usually uh, in the realm of strings, guitar, uh, and I believe like violin and cello and stuff like that. He has played on um, like with Clapton and stuff, but he's also not that that's a that's something to put a pin in your hat or anything like that. But he's but he's uh, also uh like composed like Brokeback Mountain um, and some other notable films. Um, and also friends of, the, friends of the show Mogwai. And yes, friends of the show Mogwai, who we've all been been fans of for quite some time. And the way it looks like, the way they describe the process and how this actually played out is where I'm a little confused. But like in an interview, like Trent said, yeah, what we do is like, we got all had a deal. Like we work on some stuff for some time and then like buzzer goes off, time's up swap it with somebody else, send it to another person working on this. They will pick up where you left off. They'll finish the work, which is kind of like a really cool, like game of telephone way to make a score. Um, going just off the album credits, it seems like that really only applied to Gustavo and then Trent and Atticus, because I don't see any Trent and Atticus credits for any of the Mogwai songs, but I could be wrong. Perhaps they did share some audio files. There is crossover. It's just not credited. Um, but the, there is clear crossover between Gustavo Trenaticus, which is cool on some of the the best songs on there, um, and that was that was the process. Yeah, it definitely, it definitely fits into what we discussed in the "How to Destroy Angels" uh, episode, where there's it's all about the environment. Clearly, um, I think "A Minute to Breathe" is a top twenty uh, Reznor related track. Yeah, um, holy hell, his that, singing is so good on that song. Really good. You're right. Really good singing on that track. That's that's the one that stands out for me. Um, that's it. That's easy. I'm sorry. That's the easy one. I, I took it away from you guys, but that's, that's the showstopper. The whole, the whole, I don't want to say goodbye. Like he's shifting between notes in such a smooth way that I've never heard him do before. And I'm not saying he is never, you know, we've come around and just Trent's uh, singing, you know, uh, definitely a, a, a genius either way he does it, but this is just so pretty, so damn pretty. And, and yes. he pulls it off. Yeah. Let's, let's take a minute here to listen to a minute to breathe. Uh... 
worth the price of admission for the entire soundtrack but the rest of the soundtrack's pretty good too yeah it's totally it's totally listenable um uh steve what were a, a couple of your favorite tracks on here well i just said a minute to breathe no i know okay well then uh then i'll <laughs> the fuck the rest of your choices <laughs> no uh, the, the, well the title track is really good that they yeah. use throughout they used it throughout the um the documentary quite a bit before the flood um it's uh I, I don't know how to describe it besides it definitely sounds like it's what it's about. If that makes any sense. It sounds like ice melting and dripping. Um, and also like it could be the background on a, 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 a slate podcast talking about true murders. So this yeah. is, this is track one, right? Yes. Yeah. yeah uh, the, I love this song. Um, it's really good. It's got like a little electro drum beat and a guitar riff. And then like, there's some like swamp industrial plucks and buzzes going on. Um, and it just kind of never lets up. And, uh, it's one of those songs, like you said, like it's perfect to be played behind, like Leo talking about something you see a graph or you see a map and it's building and it's all these facts being thrown at you. And it's just one of those, like, I don't know. It sounds like neurons connecting. It's a, it's a, it's a great little track.
like it a lot too. The, the first one-two punch of Before the Flood and then A Minute to Breathe. Um, you know, I would argue that uh, pretty much all of the score work uh, between Trent Reznor, Atticus Ross, and then whenever they collaborate with Gustavo is uh, pretty pretty solid, strong material. Um, yeah. I actually respond a little bit more strongly to this soundtrack and the score um, than uh, like Girl with a Dragon Tattoo, which I actually liked, but this is a really concise condensed uh of what works when they do uh scoring so yeah yeah i definitely agree with you this is an easier album to listen to on its own yeah and some of those previous pod or uh, previous soundtracks we listened to yeah Uh, Uh, i like uh way uh mogwai's work on it is pretty good it's not my favorite mogwai work um something interesting i've noticed is that uh, I mean, I'm I'm about three pay periods away from getting a Mogwai tattoo, I think. But um, there, as much as I love that band, their soundtrack work doesn't really resonate with me. Yeah, I agree. Is, which is kind of weird because they 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 have maybe three songs in their catalog of vocals. I mean, they're you think they would excel at it, but um, maybe reason, maybe they never figured out the balance of like doing that instrumental music, but then not making it build so much it takes over from the visuals because their stuff builds on their studio albums like like crazy their dynamics are insane yeah i don't know what it is they 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 just uh between this what the revenants what is it i can't remember the name of it uh oh, the return the return and a couple of other things they've done they've done a few it's just uh none of it's bad but none of it sticks out uh, just a, one last song I really enjoyed was um, uh, I enjoyed Thin Ice Reimagined. track thin ice and then they just added this really cool oscillating synth towards like the last half of it um and takes what's like already like an icy cold sounding piano pluck and then just kind of adds that synth dread to it um i thought that was a good one uh a little um curiosity the song uh when the sky was opened song it's a pianos uh really pretty piano medleys and then um but this is the name of the twilight zone episode where uh and the sky was open where they use samples of in the alternate version of all the love in the world so you know Hmm. anyways just a funny connection that that the the internet showed me all the love in the world great opening track it's a great song (laughs) just in the wrong position (laughs) 
<laughs> so let's uh, moving right along to another curio is uh, they, a little movie from Jason Reitman called Juno. Cause he gets up in the morning and he goes to work at nine and he comes back home at 5.30 gets the same train every time cause his world is Now, I was quite surprised to see that they were doing the music for this because it's way outside their wheelhouse. Do your fucking uh, homework, Steve. Fires <laughs> <laughs> I'm taking that. I'm sorry, guys. Um, Juno. It's a single about uh, a planet, right? Yeah, it's about... Uh... It was celebrating not uh, NASA's Juno mission, um, which yeah, Juno is uh, I believe it's the one of the moons of Jupiter. Yes, and re, uh, returning to Jupiter's orbit. Yeah, and uh, it's um, that this is like an eight and a half minute track. It's not super engaging. It is kind of fun, like to play this at like a planetarium would be awesome. Like it just would definitely fits like stargazing very well. That's what they were going for. They pulled it off. I think the most interesting thing about the song is the little, like almost screeching sounds you hear at the beginning. It actually almost feels like, uh, it sounds like fingers that go, you know, like when you move your fingers around like the rim of something, it buzzes and the hums high pitched. That's actually the sound of sat that Saturn makes oh. that, that one of the satellites picked up and they use that throughout the song, which I think is pretty awesome. Um, you know, very nerdy, but very awesome. And it kind of fits into the, you know, Trent using really weird natural samples into his music. But I think it's a, I think it's a pretty song for that, but it's not engaging. It's not something I'm going to put on a lot, but it's, you know, very cool. Uh, you know, come and look at the stars and play something in the background that, that uh, I don't know, gets you, gets you into it. <clears throat> there was kind of, uh, you can find it on YouTube. Um, it's a pseudo music video for this where um, the music from this song is playing uh, while uh, they're interviewing folks from Na uh, NASA, NASA. Um, sorry. I sound like fucking Trump talking about NASA. Space Force. No. NASA. Um, <laughs> um, and uh, some other musicians that I, I guess contributed to uh, a work that was inspired about this mission. Um, but Steve, don't you have some hot news about, uh, one of your favorite bands and what he thinks, uh, NASA is all about? Oh no. Oh yeah, no, no, no I, do, I do actually. Uh, yes. Uh, friend of the show, believe it or not, Matt Pike.
um, from High on Fire and Sleep. Um, I adore that guy, but he's a he's a he is definitely it's not like Alex Jones type Pizzagate stuff. He 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 subscribes to the conspiracy theories of like the government's run by lizard people, and um, if you crack open Mount Shasta, there's aliens living in there, which is also something my great grandmother believed in. That kind of stuff. Um, <laughs> All right, that, tie, that actually remember that ties into the Twin Peaks book that came out. Do you remember it that? Does, yeah, yes. yeah. The uh, what were they called? If you read his lyrics, he writes all about it. Yeah. But um, yeah. According to him, NASA is actually founded by the Nazis from something called Operation Paperclip. So they took stuff they were working on over in Germany, and after they got a, uh, they got de- defeated. Some uh, some Nazis came over here, infiltrated the United States, and started NASA. So there you go. Is it true? Operation Paperclip. Well, of course it is. He said it on the, uh, the internet. <laughs> well, we'll take it as gospel. Yeah. Uh, but the man can shred, so I forgive most of it. But um, <laughs> yeah, no, I actually really like this song. Eric, you said it's not that engaging. I, yeah, it's not, it doesn't reach out and grab me, but I think it, uh, it kind of comes from a, like a, a, a Brian Eno place. Um, and if that's what you're in the mood for, I think it works well. Uh, oh, agreed. Yeah, it's, it, it is a great collection of ambient, you know. Yeah, yeah it, but I, and also the way it builds towards the end is it, it kind of like that don don. It it, it kind of it, it it builds to a place where I think it's uh it gets a hook it hooks in me. That's true. The buzzy synth kind of takes the takes the lead towards the end, which is good. than what you expect from these two guys so yeah, yeah. so uh that takes, i think we're going to that takes, yeah. chronologically chronologically that would take us to vietnam vietnam and well, technically after that it was patriots day that came out but we already talked oh, about yeah. patriots day so yeah, yeah it'd be the vietnam war right uh, so i didn't I, I I appreciate a good documentary. I appreciate Ken Burns. I appreciate Nine Inch Nails. I did not have time for this. I started it, but I did. I couldn't. I couldn't get. 
I didn't have time. Um, totally understandable. Watch, didn't you? Yeah, both me and Eric have watched this. Yeah, um, What'd is, you guys think? I'm going to turn my microphone off. Go away. Take care of it. It's a solid, solid um, documentary. Uh, yeah. If you do have the time, uh, I learned a lot uh, more about the Vietnam War than uh, I ever uh, learned. I think that it was an inter- very detailed, very engaging um, and uh, the score, as you would imagine, does not sound like uh, Creedence Clearwater, all of the yeah. types of soundtrack work that you always get in a Vietnam War movie. <clears throat> And as I'm going through the AFI list, I'm going through a lot of movies that take place during the Vietnam War. So, um, you know, that are actually about the war. And I've always noticed the familiar beats of the music that they use. Um, Oh, yeah. Although in Apocalypse Now, they do actually use a lot of synths, uh, more so than what I remembered. Um, But that movie's like, it's not your typical Vietnam War movie by any means. It was based off of a, a book called hearts of darkness which was not didn't take place during the vietnam war they just extrapolated that and put it in there um no, but anyways, you, i mean ahead. you bring up a good point though because like i think uh, movies especially i don't know how he fucking slept on this but Steel, spielberg's the post which has good elements to it but like the fact that all their vietnam stuff has credence playing it's like really it's such a fucking cliche at this point. Like you could have done something else. Like, yes, we, you don't have to play that song for us to realize it's Vietnam. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. Um, I mean, the documentary absolutely uh, has a soundtrack piece oh, yeah. to it where, you know, it's playing the Bob Dylan, it's playing all the protest songs and Jimi Hendrix and oh, what you would sure. imagine. Right. Dude, there are four, then, there, there are four soundtracks to this, to this movie. Yeah. 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 There are four. There, yeah. So, uh, and I'm fascinated by this. Um, I love, I love the. I, I would actually agree with everything you said about it. Um, the specific themes I loved about this, I'll get to, but it actually ties into the score work, so I'll save it. But um, yeah, yeah, so you got your, you got your four soundtracks. You've got your typical soundtrack, which is kind of like all the protest music from this time. You've got your Bob Dylan's and your Neil Youngs, um, and then you've got this score, which is twelve original songs by Trent, mm-hmm. Trent Atticus. Then you have one they never released, but it's an additional, uh, it's an additional, oh man, 10 episodes of uh, N- uh, Nine Inch Nails, Trent and Atticus uh, instrumental music that's yeah. already been released. It's got like a familiar taste. It's got songs from every ghost's disc. It's got Later Into the Night, Pieces from the Hole. It's got instrumental versions of The Wretched. Like they play that in a few episodes. Yeah. It's got a uh, instrumental yep. version of uh, the uh, um, uh, the beginning of the end, right? What's that? What's that song? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. So it's got pinned and mountain, it mounted. It's got a bunch of their soundtrack work. So they're kind of doing like what we're talking about with Firefest. But I think like they did yeah. 12, twelve original songs, and then they said, "Hey, we are happy to contribute 
you know, these 40 other songs if you need them. And, is it 12 uh, or is it 17? I thought it was uh, 17 tracks on the actual, just the Vietnam original score. Oh, shit. You might... you might be right. Yeah, I'm sorry. I think you're I think you're absolutely right about that. Yeah. Yeah. There's 17 tracks total on the, uh, between two discs. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's right. And then, um, and then the other stuff that you were mentioning, it does have, uh, some songs from the social network and then songs from girl with dragon tattoo. Um, and then of course ghosts and then some instrumental stuff from nine Inch Nails work. Yeah. Right. It's and then the, the, very uh, heavy oh, with that. No, yeah. Ahead. Yeah. And then the, the fourth score that came out was just called, uh, I think Vietnam war and it was yo-yo ma and another uh, band of uh, instruments. They just did all this stuff because what I love about this documentary is they give you as much day they in both the life. Side it. They both sides it, man. Yeah. They both sides it. So you get as much in Vietnam. So yo-yo yeah. Ma's score is all the Vietnam stuff. He specifically scored all that like day in the life in the village kind of thing of yeah. living in Vietnam and the, and the towns and cities there too. So there's that also. So there's a ton of music that went into this and it's all very like impactful. I think it adds to it. Um, so like the only thing really about the process about their score work on this is they made it like they make anything else, but it got kind of kicked back to them by Ken Burns and some of the producers. And they said, this is great. We're going to use all this, but we need something a little bit more aggressive, which is why this album fucking rocks. Like half of this album are are fucking slappers. It's very, it's, it's good. I'm sorry. I get excited. This actually is like my um, second favorite uh, score that they do uh, that Trent Atticus did. There was elements of like the score that actually reminded me of quake. Exactly. Totally. Absolutely. Absolutely. Like this is a, there's some rocking songs on here. Very good. So um, yeah. So they, they released it. It's, it's half like terrifying ambient and you know, half, are like really like awesome guitar work, big drums, like kind of like really good rocking uh, instrumental work, like, like like Quake or Driver Down or something like that. Like it's definitely yeah. throwback. Some of this would fit perfectly in like Downward Spiral era instrumentals. Yeah. Um, did you like, so yeah, the documentary, I always enjoy Ken Burns' stuff. Oh yeah. Um, I've watched the majority of his work, not all of it, but uh, this one, I was uh, looked at with a little curiosity because when you think of the Vietnam war, you don't think of, let me get Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross to do that score. You think of, you know, someone who was probably alive during that time. I mean, they were alive. Trent was, I think what, yeah, he was born 60 something. Um, but, but yeah, I, yeah, you know no I'm saying totally. like that actually, like it would be scored by Neil Young or something like that. Well, right? but, but, uh, I mean, thematically the movie is like, you know, it's, it's came back haunted. <laughs> I mean, Kinda, it's like, yeah. it really yeah. is about like how war changes you and changes a country. Right. Yeah. And, um, I mean, it just kind of like, if that was the mission statement that Ken Burns gave Trinidaticus, like they hit it out of the park. Like these songs definitely feel that way where it's just like, um, and it's, it's, it is really what they do best. Right. It's like that, uh, that corrosion, um, you know, that's, that's, that kind of takes over and that's what all these songs are. So, right. I think it makes sense that he asked them to do it. Um, yes, you're right. They're not, they're not from the era. The music doesn't sound like it's from the era, except but that's why they, that's why they, you know, commissioned all those old songs or, you know, got all those old songs. Just, just to, just to still match, but um, 
the score work is gorgeous and yeah i i I really like this one this was my like biggest surprise as far as the score work goes i was i was into it so uh speaking of the score uh, do you have any standout tracks eric um yes uh so two the song uh, well i i like a lot of it but uh my second favorite song was justified response second favorite song was justified response which is like jangling industrial beat swooping noise um and some trent moaning uh in the background but my number one with a bullet was before and after faith as it like starts with this like really innocent sounding piano line and then it like dramatically cuts off and it just gets huge That is a standout track. Um, the, the two that go back to back for me that really kicked my ass was uh, the four enclosed walls. 
um, followed by the Forever Rain. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Both of those really impressed me.
play a clip from both of them here because I don't have uh, I don't have notes on this one <laughs> to describe what you're hearing, but they're both really good. Uh, I Mark, would, you got anything? I would say side two. Yeah, side one is quieter. Side two is a little bigger. Uh, it's kind of interesting how they did that. Um, I would probably agree with both of you on that. I do also like Torn Pol- uh, Polaroid and uh, What Comes Back. Uh, I thought those were also two great tracks. The tracks that you also indicated, I, I really, I agree. 
the yeah. whole thing kind of hangs together. So, I mean, you could uh, just start the whole thing and uh, they all seem to kind of run right into the next track rather than um, having jarring uh, transitions. Um, I was listening to it the other day on the background as I was working and um, I kept having to look down at my phone to see if like, oh, this is a new track. Yeah. Yeah, I will make time for that documentary one day you after should. I make time for all, after I make time for all the other things. It's narrated by Peter Coyote, the uh, otherwise known as the guy with the keys and ET. <laughs> oh wow! Oh, Peter Coyote. A lot of Peter, a lot of throwback '80s movies talking tonight. Peter Coyote um, uh, narr- narrates all the. Uh, Peter Coyote narrates all the uh, Ken Burns movies, or most of them, most of them, most of them. Hey, speaking of documentaries, I forgot to mention I did watch. Uh, a little, a little, little movie called um, Score, a film music documentary, and I just I found it because I was looking at their IMDb DB page and saw that they're in it. Um, I fired up a physical Netflix account for the first time in probably seven years, um, in order to get this thing, and Trent and Atticus were in it for about thirty seconds. But the 30, you, I posted the clip. If you watch it, you get to hear Trent Reznor say uh, Tom Fullery. Oh, so, so that's what that was from. Yes. Um, it's actually anyone that loves the movie music. And I think that's all three of us. Uh, it's got interviews with Hans Zimmer, with um, other people whose name is blank. Everybody that would be it's like, you know. Uh, any, any, anyone that does modern score work, a Michael Giacano, I can never say his name from, uh, Star Trek and all the J the Abrams stuff. Yep. Um, yeah, it, it, it's, and, and when they talk about Trent and Atticus, they say that them getting an Oscar kind of changed the, uh, there was like a paradigm shift with a lot more electronic music in abstract music being used in movies after that. And I think you can kind of see that. Yeah. So. Did they uh, did they talk to uh, Billy Corgan about his work in uh, Spun? Uh, no, <laughs> or Stigmata. Um, so I guess we can. Uh, I mean, unless we have anything else to say about this, but uh, great documentary, great score. Um, don't know if it's my favorite score, but it's certainly up there. I think it's, it's solid material. Yeah. Okay, I, I think I yeah. Well, well, I'll we'll we'll run. Well, I'll give you a little run through of my faves after the next little segment. Okay. All right. So the next thing is a non-commissioned. Um, it was not in the new Danny McBride uh, and uh, his. I can't remember what the other guy's name is. David Gordon Green. Thank you. No, it was a three-part name. Um, yeah. It wasn't part of that Halloween reboot, um, but they came out with a Halloween theme song cover. Wasn't this on the, uh, the remix album for John Carpenter? Yeah, I think it was a John Carpenter thing more so than we've, we've sang his praises on this show before, I believe of his uh, solo work. Yeah, I actually, I actually believe we mentioned this remix in the uh, broken episode as well, but we did probably, but it has, a good, it, it, has a, it has a good part here. So let's listen to it. Yeah, that, that's funny. That was a, it was news back then. It was. Yeah. Well, let's listen to a little bit of it.
Um, I really like this. Uh, this uh, we've talked about it before, but it bears repeating. It's a great version of that song. Um, they take something that, that something that's already great, and they make it just as good. You can't top the original of the Halloween theme song, but uh, it's a good tribute. Oh yeah, and it kind of has like a rave breakdown at the end, which I enjoy. Oh yeah, that's like there was no drums in the original, or I don't think there was drums in the original, but just Trent adding his own like noisy drum crunch in the last third of the song is perfect. Yeah, yeah, and uh, and honestly, like like Trent and like John Carpenter is a forefather of the score work that that Trent ended up doing, and and I think it's just perfect that they pay, pay tribute. So. Um, right. I did watch. I did watch half of the new Halloween. I really, I really enjoyed what I saw. But uh, since I'm a the father of a three year old who you're hearing in the background tonight, I have not finished it. I haven't right. watched it. I the last Halloween movie. I think I've only ever seen Halloween H two O. That's the only one I've ever seen. You never seen the original oh. one? Never. I know you're not a big horror guy. I don't even think I am. But I appreciate the classics for when they deserve it. The original Halloween is awesome. Um, also Halloween three. I enjoy that one. I'll get around to watching them. I mean, I think I've seen, uh, some of the nightmares on Elm street. I don't think I've ever seen any Friday the 13th. Um, you could probably move on with your life. I actually have an right. opinion. I have an opinion about all of this. Okay. First of all, nightmare, go ahead. Nightmare on Elm street. Go ahead. So I can turn off the microphone and go uh, watch yeah. my kid for a second. Night- Take it away. Eric. Nightmare on Elm street. You're good with the first one. You're good with uh, Dream Warriors, and uh, you're good with uh, New Nightmare. Those are fine. Uh, Friday the 13th, you're good with the first one. You're good with the second one. You're good with the third one. You're good with the fourth one, and then Run for the Hills. Uh, and then uh, as far as Halloween goes, the first one is a classic. If not, if you're not scared by it, that's fine, but you will love the, the atmosphere that he creates. It's a great movie. Yeah. So good. The second one is a weird sequel that takes place right after the first one has none of the ambiance, but it's still kind of an enjoyable movie. And the third one doesn't make any sense. It's not related to Michael Myers at all, but it's a really cool haunted mask movie. And then pretty much the third third one was they said they were going to go anthology style where each movie doesn't have anything to do with each other. It tanked, so they walked as far away from that idea as possible for part yeah. four. But yeah, don't do a run through of all of them, Mark. Not, don't 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 do the Slipknot game or the Corn game with uh, the, <laughs> the Halloween movies. Or oh the, uh, no, yeah. <laughs> How many did John Carpenter actually direct? Just the only first one? only the first one. He wrote right. the second. He wrote the second one. Yeah. Well, I'll check them out. Yeah, I mean, I I'm not averse to the horror genre. Um, they just kind of gets a little samey. You yeah, know, it's hard. The, it's hard to find standout movies for sure. Yeah, I mean, jump scares and you know, it, it builds the suspense and then usually has a shitty ending in terms of like not having a happy ending kind of thing. And that's not like I need a happy ending. It's just it's a it's very formulaic in that sense. And I just I know that there are some creative things out there in the horror genre that really do throw that you know upside down. Um, like Cabin in the Woods, I don't really consider that one a horror film. I think that was poking a little too much fun at the horror film genre, but uh, more so in a more a clever and I think uh, a more brilliant way than, let's say, the Scream movies. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And it ends with the Nine Inch Nails track. So, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, okay, so that's... Hold on. Hold on, Eric. Yeah. Uh, what about Freddy versus Jason? Ha! No! No! <laughs> It's terrible. Uh, there is one Jason movie. Jason goes to hell. 
uh, that's okay. And Mr. X from X-Files is in it as a bounty hunter. And uh, that one's got some moments, but no, 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 no. Run from, no, Freddy versus Jason. But I, I, I do have to say for Friday, the, the or wait, no, Nightmare on Elm Street, at least uh, Freddy Krueger is amusing. His, his one-liners are just so bad, they're good. Yeah. So that's the, yeah, it's out true. of all of these, that one has the most sense of humor. It's true. It's true. Uh, all right. That's enough of that. Um, I'm scratching my head here. Is there anything else to talk about besides mid nineties? That's it. That's it. We already hit bird box in the last little piece. So yeah, mid nineties is the, uh, it's the last piece. I didn't, uh, see this film. I don't think Eric did unless you I, watched nope. it with Steve. I have not watched it yet. So I watched it and I loved it. And when you guys get time for it, you'll love it too. So tell us all about um, it. it <laughs> I really liked sunset park. Um, <laughs> That uh, it's just yeah. It was directed by uh, Jonah Hill. He wrote it too. Um, the only actor you might recognize in it is Lucas Hedges, who is in Lady Bird and other movies where he plays a uh, teenager. Is he but the this, main, he main, older... main kid? What was that? Is he the main kid? No. Okay. He actually plays the uh, abusive older brother of the main kid. Okay. But um, the main kid. He's great. He's played by a little 13 year old um, whose uh, name I didn't write down. And all of the uh, other actors, the skateboarders are all professional skateboarders. And um, one of which the main of them, um, his name is. Uh, oh, what is his name? Ray. He's great. There's the character in the movie named Ray is great. He's got a he's got a line towards the end of the movie, which just uh, really stuck with me which is an all time like, Oh, that's the point of the whole movie lines, but not cheesy. 
Um, and now just this kid that's 13 falls in with a, a bunch of 17 year olds. And that's kind of a, they might be a little bit older than that. They might be more like 19, but anyways, there's, it's like close in age on paper, but huge age gap as far as developmental developmental mentally. Um, but they just, they become fast friends. They skate, they drink. That's pretty much the point of the movie. But, um, the way it shows how those kids help him deal with his home life is done really well. And it's uh, Jonah Hill's pretty funny guy. So there's some, some great comedic moments in it. And, um, he does a good job capturing that, that vibe that you get from, uh, if you watch like any early night early to mid nineties music video, how whenever something was in LA, it always looked like it was like it's sunset. Mm-hmm. He does a great job filming that. If you know what I'm talking about. So yeah. I, I really enjoyed it. I suggest anybody watch it. It's 86 minutes long. Um, and the music was great. There's only four songs in it that Trent Atticus did. They're mostly, I think they're all piano. Oh yeah. Yeah. And, um, they're really major key. They could be in Pixar movies, but the way they're used in this movie is great. Um, and they're juxtaposed with, um, 90 songs from the area, like, uh, era, like far sides pass me by is a good example of a song that's in this movie. Um, I really liked it. Yeah. I, so what do you got? What you got? You guys should watch it when you get a chance. Um, anybody listening to this that gets three and a half stars, um, or eight eight nails. But, um, <laughs> what a what? How'd you how'd you feel about the music having not seen the movie? I I loved it. I actually thought this was the most like if you just blind put this on for me. This one I would not necessarily attribute to Trent Reznor upon hearing it. It's like just definitely like out of the box for him. Uh, like you said, he's using major keys. Like it's, you know, these are, uh, and, and there a lot of them are piano based, um, like really awesome. Just like instrumental piano songs that could, I think of a, a couple other movies that had like just piano heavy, uh, themes and, and, uh, just not what I would think of from, from him. Although we know he's a good, obviously a good pianist, but, uh, just, yeah, surprising. Just four songs. Um, pretty much brings us up to um the current events there are a few things that um apparently trent reznor and atticus ross did do music for that has yet to be released um one in here that on my research is showing was a 2017 short film directed by sam raimi um it's called the black giandola 
Um, it has yet to come out, but it tells the story of a young man risking his life to save a young girl he has grown to love after his family has been killed in a zombie apocalypse. Uh, Laura Dern's in it, David Lynch is in it, Johnny Depp's in it, and J.K. Simmons is in it. Um, it's a short film. Uh, well, I like the, I like most of those things. Um, but yeah, it is an unreleased soundtrack that was apparently it was released in 2017. So maybe eventually we'll see that one, um, in 2019, uh, our current year actually go back one more, uh, last year, uh, he and Atticus Ross did the theme song to a limited four part, uh, 2018 documentary series uh, called The Fourth Estate. It was uh, about the New York Times coverage of the White House. Um, and the opening sequence is scored by Trent Reznor, and the series also features variations of songs from, you Thank guessed you. it, Ghosts 1 Welcome through 4. Welcome to the White House. On behalf of the President, we wish you a great fun and beautiful days coming ahead of us. that soundtrack you can't find anywhere sure you could actually find uh this is uh on showtime uh it's called the fourth estate and i think think it's a read broadcast of it it's an australian news show is it yeah i I, I looked it up it's yeah it's an australian news show and then i think showtime got a couple episodes and rebroadcast it got it and then for this year, 2019, we've got one coming up. Uh, it's a Joe Wright film. Uh, it's a thriller titled The Woman in the Window. It's going to be released in uh, October. Um, it's got Amy Adams, Gary Oldman, uh, Wyatt Russell, uh, Anthony Mackie is in it. Um, don't know what that one's about, but... Uh, it's about a child psychologist, apparently, that's an agoraphobic, and she witnesses a crime. Um, so that's another feel-good. Isn't, isn't Joe Wright the guy that did Attack the Block? What's that? Didn't Joe Wright direct Attack the Block? Um, he did Pride and Prejudice, uh, Atonement, Hannah. Yeah. You're thinking of Edgar Wright. Uh, no, he Edgar Wright didn't do, didn't do Attack, Attack the Block, the block but... No. Uh, Joe Cornish did Attack the Block. Ah. Uh, forgive me. Joe Wright did his last movie that he did was the uh, Winston Churchill movie with Gary Oldman, Darkest Hour. Uh, oh, I, uh, I saw uh, I saw that one. Oscar bait. And then the other one that's listed is another film starring Lucas Hedges called Waves. Um, that one just start. Uh, it's got Sterling K. Brown in it. Um, those are the only two names that I'm seeing here. Um, but that one is starting, just started, well, it should be coming out at some point this year. Um, well, let's not forget that if you have an HBO account, and I hope you do, you should be watching True Detective Season 3, A Return to Form, despite what Eric says about Season 2. Uh, Watchmen. Uh, I, I defend it for myself only. I would never try to tell anybody that's good. Okay. All right. But The Watchmen, The Watchmen TV show. They're doing the music for that. Yep, and that's the last little piece of the puzzle. And that's uh, created by Damon Lindelof, who did Lost, 
Um, I am actually really looking forward to this one. Um, I have no problem with the Zack Snyder uh, adaptation. It was fine. It had its moments where it was goofy, but so did the the graphic novel. So yeah, there's no way there's there's no way to adapt it without it being. I mean, if you might if you're going to lean into it and do a page for page adapt adaptation, that's great. And now we're going to get the to- the polar opposite, which is like a remix sequel. It looks like yeah. So. Regina King, Don Johnson, Tim Blake Nelson, Louis Gossett Jr., Jeremy Irons, and are just the folk. Some of the folks that are going to be starring in it. Yeah, and I, it's a it's a bad robot joint, and they're they're typically uh, trustworthy. And so. I, I think we got a little we got a little. Actually, I take that I take that back, Eric. I'm sorry. Not only is it I don't know is it bad robot? Yeah, it's, it's Lindelof. Bad, it's bad robot. Um, it yeah, may it, not be because bad robot. That's J.J. Abrams thing. Yeah, that's why. That's why I corrected myself. But it is Damon Lindelof. It is Damon Lindelof. Who, yeah, I haven't finished it, but from what I watched, the leftovers was awesome. And I hear if I do finish it, it's amazing. Yes. So yes. Yes. Yeah. I was just gonna say, uh, we got some shit online way back when this was announced um, for being excited for it because, you know, all the time, all the bastardizations of Alan Moore's work, and he would never want it. I. As much as I love Alan Moore, I can't help but be quietly uh, happy <laughs> when people fuck with his work just because he's such a dick. Like, he's, like, said that, like, new comic book writers are all garbage, every last one of them. Like, <laughs> I love his work, don't get me wrong, but I'm also very okay with people fucking with his shit. So, that's fine. Yeah, no, he's old. He's a, a warlock curmudgeon. Yeah. He's, a, yeah. Yeah, he's ridiculous. But, anyways... Uh, all right. Fuck, that was a lot of. So there you go. Here's our episode that we're gonna put in between uh, hesitation marks, or no, the other music one, and then the uh, the final trilogy. That's right. The next very episode will be not the actual events. Very forward to it. I'm very excited to actually like really going backwards and forwards with the trilogy because I I have not been as invested in that work as his other stuff. So. And, well, you also weren't allowed to be invested in some of it because you were doing this. Yeah, I feel sure. like we we started this right after the second one came out. So you know, yeah, probably. Yeah, I think to, you're right. We had to cut it off, and then Bad Witch one time through, and then cut it off. <laughs> These were, and that's how we'll be doing this. Is that uh, just so you know the ground rules? We're gonna li- just listen to it all at once. Yeah, so. I'm. I'm. Are we gonna be doing the episode just devoted to? each EP at the same time, or if anybody wants to peek behind the curtain, here's what we're going to do. And I'll leave this in here. We're going to listen to it all together all the way through for the next few weeks and then sit down and record three episodes in, in, in a row, just talking. So we'll just talk about the entire album and then we'll chop up the EPs out of it. Okay. For me. So yeah, so it w- they will be three separate episodes, but we're listening them to all together so we can have the context of the whole project. Yes. But one, one recording session and we'll yes, use, and we'll record we'll use all movie magic. Yes. We'll movie magic to trick everyone into thinking it's three episodes. <laughs> That's how we stay weekly friends. Trust me. That's right. Well, cool. And then we're done. And then, uh, as and we never, put it, like, uh, we're about to throw the ring into Mount doom. Yep. We never talk to each other again. <laughs> that was part of the deal. When we started this, there's my only way out of this contract with you two. So. All right. All right. Well, thanks for joining us. Uh, you know where to find us on Facebook, Pod Like a Whole. Um, you can find us on Instagram, Twitter, wherever the social medias are, are found. Um, this has been Mark, uh, Stephen, and Eric. 
and we want to say thanks for your feedback and we hope we brought you closer to pod uh,